As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found us out, but your commandments are our delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give us understanding that we may live. With our whole hearts we cry, answer us, O Lord. We will keep your statutes. We call to you. Save us that we may observe your testimonies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Psalm 117, and I'll read the whole psalm, all two verses. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, we're in between sermon series, and I was gone this week to make church visits to our churches in Colorado, so I thought this would not be a good week to try to embark on a new sermon series, but I thought as we were kind of in the middle of things, we could preach a psalm. It's always a good time to reflect on, on the psalms, and one of the psalms that I thought we could reflect on is Psalm 117. This was a psalm that was often asked for in my family growing up on Sundays after we had our big meal, my dad would always read a psalm, and you could always depend on one of the children asking for him to read Psalm 117. Um, And it was not a pious choice. It was the choice we made because there were only two verses. Um, It was a short psalm, and I always think of that when I think of Psalm 117. Um, But because it's a short psalm does not mean that it's not packed with important things to teach God's people. Even short passages in the Bible are filled with a lot of important truth. Uh, One commentator thinking about Psalm 117 said, This tiny psalm is great in faith, and its reach is enormous. The shortest psalm proves, in fact, to be one of the most powerful and most important. It's a pretty big claim, isn't it, for a psalm this size? Um, But I think we'll find that it does contain a lot of very important themes, very important, powerful themes for God's people and for its implications in the world. Its form is relatively simple to describe. It's a relatively simple hymn of praise. People are summoned to praise the Lord, and they praise the Lord. Uh, That really is the summary of this psalm. It's easy to summarize Uh, But it's important for us not only to see the content of this psalm, but to think about how this psalm functioned in the life of God's people. This was one of the psalms from the collection of psalms that we typically refer to as the psalms of the Egyptian halal. Um, Halal just means praise. So these are the songs of the Egyptian praise. Psalms 113 through 118 really celebrate and were used to celebrate what God did for his people, leading them out of Egypt in the Exodus. 
And particularly the psalms, these psalms function that way and are called that because they were used in the Passover celebration. And Psalm 117 would have been one of the, songs you, the psalms you would sing at the conclusion of the Passover feast. And so that's important not just to understand for the life of God's people in the Old Testament, but then it, it shows us a certain highlight on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ because we can think of Jesus singing this psalm with his disciples, right before he went out to suffer and die. Uh, We're told in in one of the Gospels that after they sung a hymn, they went out. That last hymn is probably Psalm 118. That would have been the last Passover psalm that they sang together. And this would have been part of that concluding part of the Passover. So we can think of this not just in the life of God's people celebrating what he did in Egypt, but in a particular way in the life of our Lord as he went out to face his bitter and shameful death on the cross, this psalm would have been on his lips. And given what we know from our Lord that the psalms were on his mind even as he suffered and died, we can get an insight into into our Lord's life through the window of this psalm. And so we want to think about this psalm and and its implications as it is a relatively simple call to praise. We want to think about the content of the call, the cause for the call, and the comfort of the call. That's how we want to think about this psalm together. The content of the call, the cause for the call, and the comfort of the call. Uh, The content of the call, again, is relatively easy to summarize. This, this This psalm as a hymn of praise begins with a call to worship in verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. That might sound to us fairly straightforward, um, maybe not worth preaching a whole point of the sermon on, um, but the call is somewhat unusual. Who is being called to worship? Well, usually a call to worship comes to the covenant people of God, comes to Israel as God's people to call them to worship their God. Israel as the nation, as the people of God, are normally the ones who are being called to worship in the Psalms. That's not what's happening here. Who's being called to worship in this Psalm? It's somewhat unusual. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. That's as diverse a group of people called as can be called. All nations, all political entities are being called to worship. All peoples, all ethnic entities are called to worship. We might say all nations, all tribes are being called in this psalm. Um, All being called to worship their God. All the people in all the world. This is a call that comes to you wherever you are and whoever you are. It doesn't discriminate. It's as diverse as it can be calling people to worship the Lord. I mean, that's an important thing for us to remember about God's call in the world. It's as diverse as it can be. It's as open as it can be. There's no one who can say, my people are not called, or I'm not called by this call to the Lord. It's as diverse as it can be. There is not one nation of the world left uncalled by the Holy Spirit, not one people of the world left uncalled by the Holy Spirit. Every person, man and woman, under the sun is called to worship, called to worship the Lord. 
the covenant God. And this, of course, especially in an old covenant context, would raise the question, how can those who are outside of the covenant praise the Lord? How can those who are on the outside, Gentiles, looking in, praise the Lord? I mean, there's a sense in which we know that all people will call, will praise the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess the Lord Jesus Christ in the end. But there's a difference between enthusiastic praise and grudging forced recognition. There will be no choice but to acknowledge the Lord when He comes. But there's a difference between rejoicing and praising at His coming and crying out with agony when He comes. Think of those terrible words in Revelation 1.7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. Um, there are those who will be forced to recognize Him, but this psalm is calling not for forced recognition, but for enthusiastic praise. And the question is, how can this call come to those who are outside. All the peoples and the nations of the earth who don't know the Lord and are not part of His covenant community. Well, that should lead us to think about the cause for this call. If all people are called, then why are all people called? Why are all people called to worship the Lord? And that is, of course, verse 2. See, boys and girls, we're moving right along. We're already at verse 2. We're halfway there. Not quite. Um, But what is we see in verse 2? What is the cause to praise the Lord? Why should all the world come in praise of the Lord? For For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Two great causes for people to come and to worship the Lord. And the first one is His prevailing love. And the second is His perpetual faithfulness. That's what this psalm calls God's people, calls all people to praise Him for. For His prevailing love and His perpetual faithfulness. All nations and people are witnesses to the blessings that God showers upon His people. Blessings that flow from His steadfast love that never fails His people. His steadfast love, this psalm tells us, is great. Um, Another way of taking this word that the psalmist used is to not just think of it as great love, love that's large or massive. God's love certainly is that. Uh, But this, this word has the sense particularly of God's love being stronger than the things that are arrayed against it. God's love really prevailing is the notion here. One commentator said of the word the psalmist uses here, it is a vigorous, formidable word used of a stronger side in battle. It's the same word Moses used in describing Exodus 17.11 when he held up his hands and Israel would win the battle. You remember that story where Moses lifted up his hands and when his hands were up, Israel prevailed. And we're told when his hands began to dip, then the other side prevailed. 
Remember, people ran to hold up his hand so they would prevail in the battle. But that's the same word that's here. God's steadfast love is not just great in terms of its magnitude, which it certainly is, but it's prevailing love. It's greater than the things his people face. It prevails over them. That's the glory being celebrated in this psalm. The greatness of God's steadfast love is that whatever has befallen the people of God in the world, God's steadfast love has always prevailed over them. That's the greatness of His love. That's the glory being celebrated here. That love that has always been the salvation of His people. And if we think about that in connection with the Exodus, as God's people used this psalm at the Passover and thought about that, there they had the Egyptians who had enslaved them, who were their overlords, who refused to let them go. And they called out to the Lord. And what happened? Against all of that opposition, against all of that might, God's love prevailed over them. God's love rescued them. Because of his great love for Israel, his child, he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Why? Because his steadfast love was great. His steadfast love prevailed over them. It's a reminder that the world has seen how God's steadfast love has prevailed over his children. His steadfast love always prevails in the end. Showing God to be the God he revealed himself to be when he revealed himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That steadfast love has always prevailed. God's loyalty and love to his covenant people has always prevailed over them. And the world has seen it. That love, that Song of Solomon 8.6 says, love is strong as death. It's the love that prevailed over the people of God. And the cause for this call to worship is not just the prevailing love of God, but the perpetual faithfulness of this God. For great is His steadfast love, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. We never have to worry that he's going to change his mind, that he's not going to keep his promises, that somehow he will reverse course and no longer be true to the things he's promised to do. Not only does his love always prevail over his people, but his faithfulness goes on unchanging. It endures forever. He can be depended upon to keep whatever he has promised to his people. And God's faithfulness is such that whenever God's people sing this psalm, they can be sure that His faithfulness will continue to them forever. In many ways, this psalm is an invitation to look back at the past as a reason to give us hope for the future. Um, And that's especially important when you're facing present difficulties. Because if we just look at the present, sometimes we can't see any hope. We've probably all experienced dark nights of the soul like that. Maybe you're experiencing that even this morning. 
To know that feeling of, I look at the present situation, I don't see any way out, and all I see is hopelessness. And the Psalms are so crucial for us to teach us the way to fight ourselves out of that situation. And what is the way to do it? When the present is difficult, to look back at the past and to remember what God has always been for His people. And to let that that truth of what God has always been for His people give us good hope for the future. Because God doesn't change. Who God has always been for His people, He will always be for His people. And how can we know that? Because His faithfulness endures forever. He says at one point to His people, I don't change. That's why you're not consumed. If I were a God that changed my mind, you'd be in big trouble. But the glory is God is not a God who changes His mind. He's not a God who fails to keep His promises. And in the midst of the darkness of the present, the Psalms encourage God's people to say, what has God always been? When people were in Egypt in that iron furnace, where was their hope? In the steadfast love of the Lord. That when they cried to Him, He heard and He knew and He acted. That was a comfort for them. And what is the greatest measure that we have this side of the cross of Jesus Christ of His steadfast love and faithfulness? We've seen that steadfast love and faithfulness incarnate in our Lord Jesus Christ. They saw many wonderful things in the Old Testament that the Lord did. None of them was as great as what we are witness to in this side of history. To have seen the Lord Himself come into the world. The Lord who is always prevailing in steadfast love. The Lord who is always enduring in faithfulness. That one who embodies prevailing love and perpetual faithfulness. Our Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world. As glorious as they can understand things from some of the miracles of the Old Testament, we've seen much more clearly what the prevailing love and perpetual faithfulness of our Lord looks like as revealed in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to die for us, who loved us enough to lay down His life to make a new covenant by His blood. To show that steadfast love. Who is faithful to us forever. Who never stops caring for us. Who never stops protecting us. Who never stops praying for us. And is coming again in glory soon to deliver us from this present evil age. He goes with us with His prevailing love, with His steadfast faithfulness, showering upon us His pardoning, sanctifying grace, sustaining us until the very end of the age. He laid down His life for sinners and He was raised for their justification. And as He anticipated going through the horror of the cross, what a comfort this psalm must have offered Him. And that's where we want to look at, too, at the comfort of this psalm, that it extends to all people. But first, to think of the Lord Jesus Christ singing this psalm as one about to go out 
and face the horror of God's judgment against sin. Certainly he volunteered for it. He went willingly to give himself in our place, but the horror of it still stood before him at that last supper as he sang this psalm, knowing that he was going out to suffer physical and spiritual torment unlike any person had ever suffered in their lives. And as he contemplated that future, he could sing this psalm and be reminded by the words of the Holy Spirit of the kind of father he had, whose steadfast love to him was great and whose faithfulness endured forever. How that must have sustained him as he went out to know the love of his father for him. That kind of prevailing love. And certainly if Song of Solomon can describe the perfect marital love as strong as death, we know that the love the father has for the son is even stronger. That's why when Peter preaches his great Pentecost sermon, he says, Death had to let him go. It couldn't hold him. It was impossible for that to happen. This is in Acts 2.24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? Because great was the steadfast love of his father and his faithfulness endured forever. Death could not hold him because his love, his father's love prevailed over death for him. And he went knowing his father's faithfulness endured forever, that he would be true to what he'd promised. That those who sought his face and did his will would dwell with him forever. What comfort that must have brought to the Lord. What comfort this psalm has the power to bring all of us. When we meditate on the fact that the steadfast love of the Lord for his people is enough to prevail over all we face in this world. No matter what difficulties we face in life, no matter even if we are called to die before the Lord returns in glory, his steadfast love will prevail over our deaths. His faithfulness to what he's promised us will endure forever. He will always be true to this promise. And so we can sing this psalm no matter what befalls us in this life, even in the face of death. We can praise the Lord for great is His steadfast love and His mercy endures forever. It's a comfort to all those who know the Lord and it gives hope to all those who are outside of this covenant who stand as witnesses to what the Lord has done. And I think that's the answer to the question we raised at the beginning of the sermon. How could those Gentile nations sing praise to the Lord and extol His name when they are outside of the covenant? Um, How are they called? Just as witnesses? No, but as witnesses who can hope that these promises can be theirs. God holds out the promise that even if you are outside the covenant, that there is a way to be brought in to enjoy these promises. The Gentiles are not merely called as witnesses to what God does for his own people, 
but they are invited in to this covenant to enjoy these promises. That's always been God's purpose in doing these things. So that people would not only see and bear witness, but that they would come and become part. Um, That's always been the intention. Remember the covenant promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is not just a call for those outside to recognize what God has done inside, but to invite those who are outside to come in and to enjoy those same blessings, to become part. That's the glory of God's plan. That's Paul's point as well in Romans 15, 8 through 12. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Paul does something really masterful there. To any who would say, well, you know, those Old Testament promises were for us, not for them. Um, And what does Paul do? He says, well, what are our Old Testament promises? Our Old Testament is the law, the prophets, and the writings. So let me take you through the law, the prophets, and the writings and show you how they all offer the Gentiles hope in that one king to come. And the first quote I read there is from 2 Samuel 50, from the prophets. And from Psalm 18, verse 49, from the writings. And the second quote is from Deuteronomy, from the law. And the third quote is from our psalm, Psalm 117, from the writings. The last quote is from Isaiah, from the prophets. What is Paul doing? He's saying, you know, if you read the whole Old Testament, it was always about bringing all people in. It was always about offering the Gentiles hope to be brought in. So they're not just witnesses to what God is doing to other people, but see that there is an open door to them saying, come in and enjoy these same blessings. That's what Christ came to do. So Gentiles would praise God, not just for his mercy to Israel, which is worthy of praise, but to share in those blessings, to be incorporated into those blessings, to enjoy those same, that same hope, to say not just look at God's steadfast love for them, but look at God's steadfast love for me, that I can hope in his faithfulness that will endure over me forever. This psalm is testimony to the wonderful, redeeming purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to make all people one, to tear down those boundaries that separate and to truly make all of God's people one. That's how we can see these praises wonderfully, not as the praises of the excluded in Psalm 117, but the praises of the included the enthusiastic praises of all nations and peoples who've been brought in and who know this God for his steadfast love to them and for his faithfulness to them that endures forever. 
And that's why the, the church can undertake its missionary work with such zeal and such hope. Because we know that this has always been God's plan to gather people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's why it's nice to see the diversity in our church, to know there are people that come from all kinds of different tribes, all the kinds of ways that people describe tribes in this world today. They're all represented. Um, we come as a diverse people who have been brought together as one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be the hope that we have to extend to this world as it fractures more and more into smaller and smaller groups, into smaller and smaller groups. As it's fracturing, what does the church have to offer to this fracturing world? A unifying Savior. The one thing that can actually bring people together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and the King. He has the power to do what no one else can do. To raise up the kind of nation and people that is represented in the church. That is celebrated in Revelation 7. Where John writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in verse 14 we read, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him night and day in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are part of this kingdom solely by the grace of our God solely by the work of His Spirit, solely by the sacrifice of our Savior. And we are in this kingdom by grace through faith. And what we have to hold out to the world is that wonderful invitation. God is calling you to be part, to join the King's chorus, to add your voices to this praise, to sing the praise and extol the name of the Lord whose steadfast love has prevailed over all that afflicts his people. To know that the steadfast love and mercy of Christ will prevail over all the troubles of our lives. That all people are called to come in and enter and to know what it is for the faithfulness of the Lord to endure forever. So it's a great privilege of the church to say to the world, join us. Join us in enjoying these blessings. It's the invitation of Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this little but powerful psalm that importantly brings out those wonderful themes of worldwide praise to your name. We pray that those people who see what you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ would not only proclaim the truth of what he's done 
as outside observers who are forced to recognize him when he comes again in glory. And the king of glory is unmistakably seen in the world. But that all who hear the gospel might recognize that you are calling them to participate in the steadfast love of the Lord. To know the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ that endures forever. And so we have been brought near. We praise your name to have been included. And we pray that many more would come and see and experience life in Jesus Christ. And have that life abundantly. And when we enjoy it by your grace alone, may we sing praise to the Lord Jesus who's done it. We praise his name. We offer you our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.